you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network, joined by my colleague Brandon Anderson, NBA futures analyst, which is perfect because we're talking NBA futures today. We're going to focus on rookie of the year as we record this. Summer League is actually wrapping up. We're doing this one a little bit in advance because there's not a whole lot that's going to change on these odds. And so we want to give you a primer on how to bet rookie of the year, the things to keep in mind, the market to to look at, and how best to bet it in the preseason, as well as we'll talk a little bit about strategies for doing it throughout the regular season. We'll also obviously, obviously, give you some picks for who we think. If you want to bet it now, uh, who the players to bet on are. We'll give you some tips on where you can find the best odds, different players. We'll go through the prime suspects towards the back half of the show. Brandon, let's start right here. You've established some rookie of the year criteria that you feel best encompasses what the history of the award says and how to bet it. Some basic rules for betting rookie of the year. What you got? All right. So we're going to start easy. We'll work our way up here. Rule number one, you have to score points. You have to score the last since LeBron in 2004, all but one rookie of the year scored at least 15 points a game. So you need 15. 15 doesn't seem like a lot, but for rookies, we don't have too many guys that hit that bar. Usually it's 18 out of the last 19 rookies of the year, at least 15 points a game. The average 17.6 points a game in there. I didn't average out rebounds, assists, because obviously different positions, that's going to mess that up a little bit. However, 13 out of the last 20 rookies of the year led the rookies in points per game. That's 65%. Pretty good. If you can figure out who leads in points per game, you have a two-thirds chance of nailing the rookie of the year. So let me, points. Let me, let me ask you as a devil's advocate here. Okay. Um, Cause I agree with you. Like this is a pretty obvious and, and simple one to take, but I do want to ask this question. If we had a rookie and this is hard to do, but if we had a rookie that was top 10, top, let's say top five, top five in assists. Right. But he was averaging 13 and nine right? Or 13 and 8.5. Okay. Do you think that that rookie, do you think the rule would still hold? Like, can you see if a rookie was theoretically near the top of the list for assists per game was the primary distributor, which now again, the league has shifted a lot to where we're not going to see this. Thanks Steph Curry. But if we're, we're never going to see that kind of thing, but if we were to see it um, and we'll talk about rebounds in a minute, because it's always an annual conversation between you and I. um, But can you see, 
a formula for a player being a dominant, not dominant, a high production assists outweighing that, even if it was just like an outlier, like I guess how ironclad, I guess, is this rule in your mind? Yes. So I'm going to answer that question by, by transitioning towards rule number two. So again, 65% of our last two decades of rookies of the year led in points per game. 65% is pretty good. However, rule number one, you have to score points. Rule number two, you always want the top points plus rebounds plus assists guy. So that's what we're going to get into what you're just asking about. Just getting the points per game leader is not necessarily enough. 65% good. But what I didn't say is this. Four of our last five rookies of the year did not lead points per game. So the way that we're trending is not just points. The way we're trending is assists and rebounds and overall game. Scotty Barnes, John Morant, Ben Simmons, Malcolm Brogdon, not points per game leaders. So back to LeBron. Since LeBron, 15 of the last 18 rookies of the year, that's 83% led rookies in points, rebounds, assess. PRA, the prop, the same way you bet it. And the guys that didn't lead were second, second, and third. And by the way, two of those guys shouldn't have, well, won rookie of the year because Zion got hurt and because Joel Embiid got hurt. So otherwise, we are nearly batting 17 of 18 on pick the points, rebounds, assist leader. You got the rookie of the year. So that's where, to answer your question, if you get the guy who gets enough assists or I think maybe enough rebounds based on what this formula is telling us to make up the points deficit, you said, okay, how about 13 and nine, 13 points, nine assists. Well, if my points leader has 17, I got to make up four points. So nine assists is a pretty good way to do that because 17 and four versus 13 and nine, I come out ahead on that equation. So points, rebound, assists has been, much stronger than just points alone. So last year, Scotty Barnes, a ruiner of dreams, <laughs> uh, averaged 22.8 PRA. He was yeah. ahead of number two, Evan Mobley, just barely because Evan dropped off late in the year. Again, Evan, if it wasn't for the injuries, I think Evan gets that award. Should have won it. He was better. Um, but Kate actually led them in, in PRA. Correct. So how do we, I mean, I know it's like one year, Right. I pushed back on you last year about the rebounds and the evidence has been pretty strong. Right. And like Barnes winning over Mobley, I think is a credit in part to this idea of the PRA mattering. My question for you is just like, do you feel like the voters are looking at it and being like, Oh, he had more PRA. So I'm going to vote. Like, I don't know. Here's what here's, I don't know how to like factor in that PRA has had such a high correlation. Yeah. To actually so, think about the voting process. So, yeah, I, I, th- that's a really good question. No, I absolutely don't. Th- I think there are very few, if any, voters who sit down, look at five guys worth of stats, add up the thing, and are like, ooh, boy, well, this guy's box score total is the most. So yeah. he's probably going to be my winner. I don't think anyone is doing that. Certainly not in 2022. So I don't think that that's it. T- to me, these are not, plus also, we don't have the stats. We're predicting stats too. So it's like, sure. okay, we're not predicting work of the year. We're predicting the numbers, but we still don't know. To me, these are not like, okay, now we have our answer. We know the rookie of the year. These are more baselines. Like it, if I look at a rookie and I don't see, and there are a few guys, I, I have a few guys on my list for this year that we'll get to. If I don't see even a realistic path at all to get to 15 points a game, then I need to see that as a major red flag for you. And here's, here's PRA. Last five rookie of the year. Here's the stat line. 17.2 points, 
6.6 rebounds, 6.2 assists a game. That adds up to exactly 30 PRA. Over or Since LeBron, all but two rookie of the year, at least 25 PRA. So again, baseline. That doesn't mean you have to do everything. But if I look, if, if I think, okay, Paolo Banquero, number one pick, what, what line can he put up? If I put a line out for him and I can't even get realistically to 25, that needs to be a red flag for me to be like, okay, well, I can like his impact all I want, but history says that's just not enough numbers in the end. So I don't think that people are deciding only on the numbers, but history tells us that it's factoring into the decision somehow. I think it's less factoring into the decision and more the decisions are often reflected by the numbers. Does that make sense? Like, I think yeah, that's, I think that's a better way of saying it. Yes. Like, if you have these stat lines, you're likely having success. And if you're having success individually, yes. whether, you know, the team success, I think is kind of into separate. It doesn't mean wins and losses, obviously, yeah. um, which we'll get to in, in rule three. I just think, and here's a, a good way to think of it, right? If we look at the PRA, a 17, five and three guy might be able to win it over a 19, four and two guy. Right. Doesn't mean he will. The 19, four and two guy will absolutely be in the conversation if he's averaging 19 a game, you yeah. know, like I, and like a good baseline, right. you, you mentioned the 30 PRA baseline. My immediate thought was Tyreek Evans, who in 2009 yes. averaged 25, five or 25, five, five. That yeah. was like a huge deal that he was like yeah. averaging the stat line. Um, miss you, Reek. He was so fun that rookie season. He was. Uh, all right. So number three, let's talk about what it's not. Let's talk about what, what the, yes. what the rules say that this, this award is not about. So rule number three, uh, rookie of the year is not about defense. It's not about efficiency. It's not about wins. So I don't have as much numbers on here, but defense. If I look back at, again, like the last two decades or so of rookie of the year, 2005 of Emeka Okafor, definitely defense is a big part of why you vote Emeka Okafor to win anything. Like that's his game. Since him, so since 2005, I don't really see a lot of, like we don't have a lot of metrics for defense. We know. Ben Simmons, 2018, I think defense is part of his case. I think you'd argue that Scotty's case last year, defense probably at least played part in it. Maybe Malcolm Brogdon, maybe Chris Paul. Like that's, that's the list to me of looking back at the rookies of the year, where was defense maybe part of the equation? And it's not that strong for really any of them, I think, except for Ben. So defense, again, not a lot of metrics, but doesn't look very strong. Efficiency. Again, we don't have a great way to measure this, but I think we know we're not expecting rookies to come out and put up these amazing true shooting and BPM and VORPs and all 50, 40, 90. Like yeah, they're no, not going to no 50, 40, 90 rookie. It's not going to happen. So just for an easy metric, I looked at box plus minus on basketball reference. That's an all in one way. It's one of the things I use to track players. So rookie of the year, last 15 rookies of the year, average BPM finishes 3.6. It's good. You're a top five rookie in BPM, but you're not necessarily number one. Only five of the last 15 rookies to win rookie of the year led in BPM that season. And that's putting, I think, like a 300-minute baseline on it. So, in fact, under half of the last 15 were even top two in BPM. As, as a side note, it's interesting. A lot of times there are guys who were better in BPM but didn't win rookie of the year. And now, like, five and ten years later, I'm like, nah, that guy actually was better. Maybe we should have paid attention to that. But the advanced metrics aren't deciding who wins rookie of the year. The, the, the getting the numbers is and you kind of alluded to this too part of it is you just got to play you have to be good enough to earn minutes 
And if you're good enough to earn minutes, then your PRA will be higher. And that all kind of plays into it. Uh, the wins thing here is what really stood out to me. It's not necessarily about wins. Again, last 15 rookies of the year averaged 32.8 wins. So basically 33 and 49 season. That's including pace for the strike seasons and whatever. They averaged the 10.8 seed in their conference. That makes sense. Rookies of the year usually are the top rookies, the top picks. They're going to bad teams. Bad teams are probably going to lose. Rookies don't necessarily change that right away. Bad teams have more playing time for rookies. So it's not necessarily a winning team. Only four of the last 15 rookies of the year were a top eight seed. So not defense, not efficiency, not wins. It's really fun. It's really funny. The last year is such an outlier to this. So yes, Kate, I know. Kate, Kate leads in, in PRA, <clears throat> does not win. He was your, your preseason pick. Uh, yes. Scotty, you're saying BPM doesn't lead to it. Scotty leads last year in BPM. Scotty, Scotty was second, actually. Jose got, Alvarado was number one. <laughs> oh, I've got it for qualified for, for okay, sure. points per game leader, leaderboard here on there. Um, so qualify for leaderboard, it's Scotty and then Evan Mobley and then Bones Highland and then Herb Jones and then Franz Wagner, who honestly did not get enough credit for his return. Yeah, he's great. Um, okay, so like the wins make sense, right? Like everyone kind of expects them to be bad. A lot of this is about the expectations, I think, for rookies. This annoys me, quite honestly, because I'm like, if you if you're not expected to your team to be good, but you contribute to a winning team, you should get bonus points. Yeah, I agree. Steven Adams is the big one back in the day that I was so pissed about. I was like, Steven Adams is starting for a Western Conference title contender. Like, he is incredible. Why? Like, he has done every, like he makes he makes them he helps them win. It's the point of basketball. But no, you're right that they're just it's always going to go to guys that put up the stat lines and winning is never going to be as important as those. Um, And then finally your rule uh, number four, um, you actually have two more, sorry, uh, is always bet on a top pick. Tell me more. All right. So a lot of numbers for you since the 1950s, there are only four rookies of the year that were not a top 10 draft pick. Only four. Four, which is was insane to me. I I kept drawing the line shorter and shorter. I was like, okay, how many non first rounds? Just Malcolm Brogdon. How many non lottery picks? And I kept shortening it. There are only four: Brogdon, Michael Carter Williams, Mark Jackson, Jamal Wilkes. That's it. Outside the top ten since the fifties. That's four out of sixty-two. So you could basically narrow it to just the top ten picks. You got ninety-three point five percent of the rookies of the year. There's only one pick ever after pick number 18 since the 50s. So that's top 10. Narrow it further. Same span. Outside the top five, only 13 out of 62 rookies of the year. So just top five picks alone, you're still at 79% rookie of the year. Four out of every five rookies of the year, you got a top five pick. Narrow it further. Now we're going to go a little more modern. Since 1990, which I believe was David Robinson. Since 1990, top three pick rookie of the year. 23 out of 40, 68%. Mm-hmm. So two out of every three rookies of the year, better than two out of every three are top three pick. Same time frame. Other, Sorry. But we're heading in the other direction a little bit. Well, like we're heading the other direction, but I'm narrowing. We're, yeah. we're down to the top three picks now. Same time frame. Number one pick. Just number one pick. Close your eyes. Don't watch basketball. Bet on whoever is number one pick. Since 1990, 15 out of 34 rookies of the year, 44%. Rookie of the year, almost half of them was just the number one pick. Yeah. 
I expected that trend in that direction. I did not expect that to be so strong. Overwhelmingly, what this is telling you historically, and I know we'll argue about exactly how much does historically say, overwhelmingly it says you have to pick someone in the top five, probably top three, and you should probably just default to the number one pick unless you have a really good reason not to. Okay. Um, um, it's interesting that, honestly, I, th- I would consider the fact that only 15 out of, it was 15 out of 44. Is that right? Uh, 34? 15 out of 34 number one picks since yeah, 1990. Yeah. So that's actually lower than I would think it. I would think really? that, yeah, I would think that the draft okay. classes would establish number one picks at a higher, like that they would hit slightly above 50%. Um, so it's yeah. against what I think, but it's not like bad. Well, it's, it, it's fair because, you know, we don't have it this year, but some years you have a LeBron, you have a Shaq. You have, like some years you just know who the rookie of the year is going in. And I don't have a way to look back and see like, well, what were the odds when Shaq was the rookie? What, what were the betting odds? Or I'm just looking at who won it or not. Uh, a little more narrowed in further, again, these last 15 rookies of the year, nine out of the last 15 rookies of the year were a top three pick. So that's 60%. You said earlier, we're going in the other way. We are going a little bit down there. It was 68% last since 1990, 60%. However, two guys were number four. Scotty was number four. Evan Mobley probably would have won. He's a top three pick. Malcolm Brogdon won it. Joel Embiid was a top three pick. Malcolm Brogdon is is Mr. Outlier on every single rule that I've said so far. So he's the one guy that fits nothing. Otherwise, 12 of the last 15, if Mobley and Embiid stay healthy, 12 of the last 15 are top three picks. Yeah. So again, it makes sense. If you're a higher pick, you are a better player. That's what we've decided. That's why we're drafting you high. You're going to get more playing time. You are probably readier to play. It is selection bias, but it's in our favor. It, it's yeah. saying... You should start with the guys at the top. That's why they're at the top. Well, I think it's more important just to be like, look, if you got 10 through 30, throw them out. Like 11 through 30, just toss them, right? Like it's elimination, I think for me more. is like you're 11 through 30 and you better really like five, six through 10. Like you better be like this specific, not just like, oh, I really like this guy. You better be like, no, no, no. He looked awesome in summer league. I have like, I know he's, they've talked about him getting like started. Like you better be sure if you're going to put that bet in before the season starts uh, yes. rule number six is kind of like a contrary move. What's, uh, what's yeah. So, what's so this is my, this is my Matt rather. Moore rule because th- this was my, okay. Matt and I think a little differently about these things. So I think what you just said is really important. These are not necessarily like, look, you could just take the rule I just said and be like, okay, so podcast over bet number one, it's Paolo. That's it. End of discussion. That's not what I'm doing here. To me, the, the key is exactly what you just said. These are ruling people out. If I can take 30 picks, I'm going to take 58 picks this year and say, rule out 28, their second rounder is not going to happen. Rule out 20 more, they're not in top 10, not going to happen. Now I'm down to 10. Like, I'm just trying to narrow my options here. But I had to ask the question because this is the question you always ask me, and it's a good one. Are voter patterns shifting? And a lot of the metrics tell us that they might be because the last five or six years of rookie of the year look a little different. So I told you the rookie of the year stats from the last five years and uh, 17, six and a half rebounds, six assists. Four of those last six rookies of the year did not lead points per game. So that was rule number one. They broke it. Three of our last six did not lead PRA. That's rule number two. Three of our last six broke the rule. Uh, Last five rookies of the year finished 
first, 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 second, and fifth in BPM. So recently, advanced metrics do matter. And actually, we are choosing the best rookie most of the time. Um, I said for the last 15 rookies of the year, we're not a top eight seed. However, three of the last six were a top eight seed. Huh. And four of the last six made the playoffs because John Morant was a nine seed and then won a play-in game. So our last six seeds, we got a five, a three, a six, a nine, a 10. We have teams that are not terrible anymore in here. We have teams that are, you know, those are all postseason teams, even the 10 seed in there, the way that we do it now, that's a postseason team. So does a winning situation matter now? And then here's the other thing. And this didn't really fit anywhere, but positionality does positionality matter on this since i said a macro for 2005 since him if i'm looking at what i would call a big man in the nba and just to clarify like i'm gonna not call kevin durant a big man kevin durant as a rookie not a big man he's a small forward maybe even a guard big men rookie of the year winners since 2005 blake griffin carl anthony towns end of list we have two Big man rookie of the year winners. Now, to be fair, Joel Embiid would have won, didn't play enough. Zion would have won, didn't play enough. Evan Mobley maybe would have won, didn't play enough. But big men kind of get hurt a little more often. Maybe that should factor into our decision. The top three picks this year are big men. The rule that says we should be betting on a big man, this rule or whatever it is, not great. Five of the last six rookies of the year were probably what you would call a point guard. Depending on how you classify Cade, uh, sorry, depending on how you classify Luca or Ben Simmons, if they're point guards, five of our last six are point guards. And by the way, Scotty, he's the non-point guard. He played point guard for some of those games when like Fred Van Vliet was out, like he was running the offense. So here's kind of my takeaway from all of those things. I think the way the NBA is moving, and I think the why the PRA thing still fits as a big indicator, not necessarily a clincher is kind of how you would call this. Not necessarily that you need to be the point guard. You need to be the engine. You need to be the hub. Like you need to have the offense going through you, which probably was the case for like a Blake Griffin, which helps a, a big man to, to win. But that's if, the, if things are running through you, you're a Simmons, a Luca, a Scotty, Scotty less so. But if things are running through you, you're going to have a better chance to get your shots, your assess, you're going to be more involved in rebounds. And it kind of comes full circle to the picture that we're painting. So thoughts on any of that stuff. One thing I'll probably look at after we get done here is, um, and we'll have this before the season starts, because we'll have, we'll revisit this before the season begins. Uh, I want to look at pick and roll rates, because when you say this kind of thing, an easy way to kind of shortcut it is just to look at how many times did they operate in pick and roll? Right. If we can go back and we can look at the rates of pick and roll for the various rookies, then I can get an estimate of how often are they involved in the primary action that decides most of NBA offense. Like most of the NBA offense is pick and roll. That's most of it. And that would kind of be the missing gap in between the guard big equation is just like, how often are you running pick and roll? How often do you have the ball in your hands? Because there's probably a correlation between the frequency of pick and roll, which has been so such a like it just keeps going up and up and up and up and up. Went down a little bit this year. Um but that correlation to rookies that have the ball in their hands, right? It's less about, are you a point guard? Are you a shooting guard? And it's more of like, are you the guy that runs pick and roll? You know, cause like even Scotty, I don't necessarily think that he like ran point as no. much as I think that he like, he was the primary initiator in pick and roll action. 
And yeah, that's, that's true. That differentiator. Well, and and Scotty like is, is, is more of an outlier to that point. But mm-hmm. I, I do, uh, you know, we talked about ruling guys out. So I think that certainly not that you're going to bet them anyways, but in case the listener is going to bet them first round picks, Walker Kessler, Mark Williams, Jalen Duran, even Jeremy Sohan, top 10 pick. He should fit into our guys to consider probably not guys that you should be betting on based on this idea of, of being the hub. Like they just, it's not, they're not going to get enough touches that way, yeah. but this is where I, I, I want to transition now to talking about like, okay, who should we bet on? Because to me, that last thing is very informative on how I'm looking at these top three guys, because the big takeaway for me on all the rules is start with the top three. If I can look at the top three and decide who do I feel strongest about in the top three, that probably should be my bet. And last year, that was Cade Cunningham for me. I did not feel like Evan Mobley would be ready enough. I thought Jalen Green would take too much time to ramp up and have too many on games or off games. And I, I drew the line at top three. Scotty was fourth. And so then I just kind of missed out on him. But I think looking at Paolo and Chad Holmgren and Jabari Smith, to me, an absolutely key difference, and we saw it at Summer League, is that Paolo is going to be this hub engine of Orlando's offense. Things are going to run through him. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, making decisions. He's going to get assists. He's going to get his shots up. I don't think we're going to see that from Chad Holmgren. I don't think we're going to see it from Jabari Smith. Not this year, at least. What do you think? I agree. So if we're going to just do best bets here, right? I will tell you, and we'll talk about why I'm not betting this now. I will probably put in a Palo bet. Um, I'll probably put in a bet on the other guy I think is worth betting on, which we'll get to in a second. Um, But it's not going to be nearly like last year. I went heavy preseason on Jalen green and it was a disaster for me. I had to chase the entire season. Now I made it up because we talked about how we basically parlayed the awards winners We'll talk about that a lot going into the season about the books that allow you to parlay the awards winners. Whole God is their value. It's just yeah. incredible that we were able to get, like we got, we were still able to get jaw at like a small plus number mid season. Um, we were able to hedge effectively on Draymond green with Marcus smart late in the season. Yeah. For, for me, I missed out on Jokic for MVP for much of the year. And then late in the season was still able to turn yeah. a profit despite my staff MVP position and my heavy Giannis position yeah. still turn a profit because I just parlayed Jokic with a couple other award winners yeah. and got his number up high enough. Yeah. Um, the value on, on rookie of the year we'll get to in a second, as far as like when to bet it. But as we look at the guys based off a of summer league and talking to scouts and things like that, and just like looking at how they view him, this is tough because I don't want to make these declarative statements It's summer league and there's months to go and there's so much that can happen. <laughs> I'm just telling you that nobody looked like Paolo. Like it was Paolo and then a big gap and then Chet and Keegan Murray and Benedict Matherin and Jaden Ivey and then a gap and then Jabari Smith and then a big gap and everybody else. Like, <laughs> Paolo Bancaro could not have had a better summer league. He yeah. looked monstrous. His size looked like he was dwarfing NBA vets. He muscled past dudes routinely. Uh, he showed passing ability. He made very slick passes. They had him operating out of pick and roll as a primary initiator. They had him operating out of the post. He was attacking inside consistently. Uh, Paolo looked awesome. And 
like you've noted this for us to talk about is that like the odds are all over the place in terms of like where you can find the number at he's plus 330 on DraftKings. he's plus 400 um at no plus 400 on DraftKings. yeah he's plus 400 at DraftKings. he's plus 330 at FanDuel. like you can find these numbers that's probably going to get shorter i'll tell you that like paolo's probably gonna start taking on money like he was unquestionably like the guy and it's like, well, it's the number one pick. I'll just tell you, like, we've had number one picks. Like, I would not have wanted to bet on them. Like, last year, I didn't want to bet on – I didn't want to bet on Cade. You didn't. And, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, like, you guys got screwed basically because Cade would have won that award, except the entire Detroit Pistons team, including Cade, turned into a 1940 shooting team for the first two months <laughs> of the season. Well, and, like, and to be fair, too, Cade came in and, and like, sprained his ankle, his ankle? Like, opening yeah. day of training mm-hmm. camp, yeah. and that really dug a hole, too. Yeah, so – like Cade was not a bad bet at all. It was a better one than Jalen, which was shocking to me. But yeah, we both lost that one. T- tough on Jalen. <laughs> tough. Um, but like Paolo yeah. looks looks genuinely like the biggest thing for me is just Paolo's size. However, yeah. however, this does part put into another conversation. The one, the one little negative that was coming out of Summer League, Brandon, was the rebounding. So yeah, would, so I want I want to speak to that because I so I, here, here are the numbers. So. Paolo only played twice. So, so again, we're talking about two summer league games. So uh, all of the caveats, the numbers though, here, here are the box lines from the games. First game played 26 minutes, 17 points, four rebounds. Not great for a big man, six success. Second game played 34 minutes, 23 points, six rebounds, a little better, six success. So yeah, averages out 20 points, five rebounds, six success. Guess which number stands out to me of those three. It's the six assists. That's the yeah. one that I kept saying every time, because to me, again, back to the PRA thing, he, I, I would pick Paulo to lead rookies in points per game, probably. But I think you make a case. We'll get to Keegan. We'll get to Mather and some of those guys. I, I think there are other guys who could be in the mix, but he's going to rebound and he's going to rebound more than Keegan Murray and Matherin, not necessarily more than Jabari or Chet, but he's going to assist certainly more than any of those guys, I think, because of how much he has the ball here. So I would, the one thing I would push back on is if you really believe in the PRA, if you really believe in it, you got to be a little cautious with Paolo. So that second game where he had six assists, do you know how many he had at half? I do not. Zero. He had no rebounds in the first half. None. Wait, rebounds or assists? Rebounds, sorry. Okay. He had zero rebounds in the first half. And we were all like, Paolo has like 19 points or like, you know, 14 <laughs> points or whatever, but yeah. they're like, he hasn't rebounded once and he wasn't trying. And what pretty obviously happened is he got in the locker room and was like, Oh, I don't have a rebound. I should go get some rebounds <laughs> yeah. and, went out and, and grabbed enough. And so my thing here is I will tell you that we talked about how defense doesn't matter. He's not going to be a good defend- defender and that's fine. Like it does not matter in the context of this award at all, nor does it matter for Orlando. Yeah, uh, I am worried about the rebounding that if you think the rebounds are going to be a drag on him just enough to like, the question is just basically at, at his position, will he be able to grab enough for it to be okay with that total PRA number? Right. Yeah. Because he, he averaged 31 PRA in those two games and he's not going to average that in the, in the league, right? This is summer league. If he averages say 17, four and four, Okay, that's only that's twenty five. Yeah, that, that, just, that was our minimum baseline that we set earlier. That gets us to like just the threshold yeah. of that. So like 
he would have to have the ball a lot to generate six assists per game. Like that's extremely high. So that if you're concerned about it, like that might be, if you really want to tie to the rules, I do have some concerns about Paolo's overall rebounding. Maybe he comes in the league and he's like, like he, the coaches are on him and it's just like, (laughs) you know, you got to do this, dig in. And he just, does it right? He just like gets yeah. a ton of re- or, he, or he finds that he can get easy points by getting putbacks. That's another thing that's like pretty good. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say is that I think part of it is I don't think he's going to have necessarily a lot of offensive rebounds because of the offensive role he's having. Yeah. Like if he's going to shoot 20 foot fadeaways and run point from the top of the arc, he's not going to be getting offensive rebounds. Like you can't do both of those things necessarily. So but you know that that's the price. You're going to get more points and assists because of it at the lack of rebounds. I think your concern is fair. I think your amount of concern is too much in that. I think setting the bar at 17, four and four, the four rebounds. I, I think that's really selling him short. Four rebounds. He's going to play 32 minutes a game or whatever he plays. Four rebounds is just too low. Like there's there's a lot of missed shots in the NBA. The Magic are miss a lot of shots. Like four rebounds is too low. I think even if you say. I agree. I don't think his rebounds will be high. I think 17, six and a four is where I would put as, as kind of a expected floor ish median outcome for him. Okay. I think six I mean, is better than four. And that, and that now you're at 27 and you're pretty comfortably in that PRA range. I, I get it. Um, again, this is built a lot off of those two, those yeah, two games. You but, really didn't like his rebounding. Well, it's not that here's the thing is like, I was so amazed by him. Like yeah. I was just like, holy it's God, the this one guy's like, glaring thing that stood out. Like at, everyone's response was like, how is it like, why do we ever think anybody else should go number one? <laughs> like, it was like crazy yeah. how much everyone was just like, it was like Palo Bancaro is the best player here. And it is not close. And that's after Chet had the monster game in the first game in the Utah summer league. And then like yeah. had good games in Vegas where everyone's really excited about him, but it was still like, but there's Palo, <laughs> like Palo looks like a monster. Um, yeah. And, and like, look, some of it may just be like the competitive spirit gets in and he's, you know, he's averaging like, and and maybe again, this is, I'm just trying to give the full picture of what it could look like. And also like, look, um, if we look at last season, there were, you know, Mobley's rebounds weren't necessarily massive. So a lot of it also depends on like, he's going to be playing next to Wendell Carter Jr. and Mobamba, right? So like, there's going to be guys that are rebound absorbers there. They do have a lot sunk into Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz, I feel like, in terms of equity. So, like, giving him the ball and being like, you're the primary guy. A good kind of comparison for this, honestly, might be I want to look this up real quick. Is guess the number one player that he was compared to most from everybody at Summer League? Do you know? Uh, you're saying Paolo? Mm-hmm. I would guess Blake Griffin. Carmelo Anthony. Okay, that was my other guess. Yeah, that <laughs> I was, was going to guess Blake or Carmelo. And this is actually like a pretty good, this is a, a really good kind of comp here. So Melo, his rookie season, by the way, poor Melo for Melo and Wade for coming out the same year as LeBron. Just yeah, for guys. Melo averaged 21 and six his rookie season, 2.8 assists per game. So he very, yeah. they very easily, he very easily clears yeah. uh, the 25 PRA number. He averages 21 and six. Now, Mello, the next seasons went to 5.7 and then 4.9 and then 6. He bounces up to 7.4 in 2008, and he's back down. He basically average, he, he starts to average at around 7 as he gets a little bit older, but he drops between year 1 and year 2. But that rookie season, he averages 6 boards a game. Yeah. And Carmelo was never like a super no. 
until really New York was when he started being like really aggressive on rebounds. So early on, he wasn't. He was also, you know, a pretty skinny kid. So if six boards is what Mello got in 2004, I think that you're probably right that we should put the bar at six. And yeah, if we and- if we say like we think he's getting to 17 rebounds or 17 points at least, and that's like a low bar, I think, for Palo scoring. 17 points and six boards. We're at 23. The assist number is going to be way over that. So we're very much into the PRA zone. Yeah. So to to me, why is it Blake Griffin instead of Carmelo Anthony? And those really were the two guys I was thinking about. I'm thinking of late career Blake Griffin. Not, mm, not now yeah. Blake Griffin, but the version where the offense ran through him more. And yeah. Carmelo, I don't think really ever was that as far as the passing that we saw Blake become. Yeah. So I, I think that's where... If you think of Carmelo, not quite enough scoring, but more passing, I think is a, is a good indicator. And I, I want to consider to the the team contact. So let's kind of transition into okay, comparing Paolo to Chet and Jabari. Neither one of us, I think, is is going to tell you a bet on right now. Certainly on Chet or Jabari, I think team context is important because you mentioned Cole Anthony, you mentioned Markel Fultz. They have last year's number five pick, Jalen Suggs. They got guards on this team, but Last year, the Magic had only three guys that scored 12 points a game on the entire roster. Their leading scorer was Cole Anthony at 16.3. They also did not have anyone average six assists per game. Their leading assist was Cole Anthony at 5.7. So to me, that indicates a void for scoring and playmaking in that that is a team waiting for a Paolo to step into that void. So I want to come back to the the bet on a top three, bet on the number one pick thing. Right now at DraftKings, like you said, plus 400 for Apollo. Plus 400 implies 20% odds of winning. So since 1990, a top three pick has been the rookie of the year 67.6% of the time. If you flip that into betting odds, if you could, if you could bet on a top three pick will win, the implied odds would be minus 209. So if you could somehow just figure out which one of the top three is the clear best of the top three, you have a huge favorite. You have a two-thirds favorite. In fact, just number one pick, we said 44% number one pick wins. The implied odds of just betting the number one pick based on nothing else but being the number one pick is plus 127. So we're getting Paolo right now at plus 400 if it's still there. I keep checking every day. Like, please, can we get this podcast out? Because you kind of like Paolo here. I very, very like Paolo Bancaro, and I've bet it twice already. And I really think that that is the position you have to have going into the season. Because back to the team context thing and, and the role thing, this is why I think Paolo stands out a lot from Chad Holmgren and from Jabari because the Oklahoma City Thunder have Shea Gilgis Alexander scored almost 25 points a game last year. They have Josh Giddy, who put up 12, 8, and 6 as a rookie. Giddy and, and Shea, 12 assists a game combined. Uh, Lou Dort scored 17 a game. Chad Holmgren, I think, has a very good chance. Uh, there's almost no chance he leads the team in points a game or assists a game. He may not even lead in rebounds a game. Like, he's a skinny dude. Rebounds are not going to be easy for any of these three guys yet. Giddy could have more rebounds, I think, than Chet, depending on how the season goes. So, role for what they can be that's problematic for him jabari smith i think is more problematic you got jalen green the star rookie 17.5 points a game post all-star break over 22 points a game 
You got KPJ, 15, 5, and 6, essentially, last year. And then you have Changan and Ty Ty Washington, Josh Christopher, Tari Eason. Uh, you've got Garuba, Knicks. Like, you have a lot of young guys that need development time. There's less of that in Orlando. Of, of the three guys, there is a much bigger void to just step in, play now, and do a lot of stuff for us in Orlando's context than in Houston's or Oklahoma City's. Yeah. Um, is there anybody else yeah. that you that you like on the board right now? We'll talk about like when to bet it throughout the season, but when do you is there anybody else on the board that you really like that's on the board right now? So I think I think we talked about like top ten, top five, all those things. I think the obvious I, I want to do it in two parts. Number four pick. We don't have was, much time, so we gotta hurry. Okay. Number four was Keegan Murray, number five, Jane Ivy, number six, Benedict Matherin. I think the anybody else conversation has to be those three. It has to start with those three. And then I have one long shot after that. To me, of those three, I think Keegan Murray is yep. my favorite of the three. Yep, 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 yep. Keegan so, has played six summer league games, averaged 21.8 points a game. He scored at least 23 points, all but one. He had at least seven rebounds, all but one. That's good. Mm-hmm. 23 and seven, that's 30 PRA, just that alone. I don't think he's going to have many assists. I'm worried about the team context. Fox, 23 points a game. The bonus, 19, 12, and 6. Barnes, 16 points a game. I'm worried about that. So I'm not going to bet him yet, but plus 1,000 at points bet right now for Keegan. I think that that's too low. I think you need something to happen to Paolo to open the door, but it has happened. It's some of these big men in the past. The Kings maybe make a playoff push. That could help the more recent narrative we're seeing. Keegan is not going to be a hub. He's not going to be a hub for that team right now. But I, I think of the three, he's the one I like the best. You like him too. Yeah. The biggest thing with him was that I would watch him and he would have great games. And then he would have games where I was like, he's kind of hasn't done anything. And then I would look at the screen and it would be like, yeah, he's got 16, six and five in the third quarter. And you'd be like, <laughs> yeah. what? Like, it just happens. It just he, comes in the flow. And that's how it was at Iowa too. He just picks up numbers and yeah. Those guys, if we talk about the PRA argument, that's like a really strong one is that he's going to do like a whole lot of things. I, I do think if we look at who is above him in the pecking order in Sacramento, De'Aaron Fox, Harrison, uh, Demasa Bonus, Harrison Barnes, Davion Mitchell, that's yep. that's four guys. Um, and then but Monk is going to be five on that yeah. list. Kevin Herter, so, maybe they just tried a first round pick for him. Herter, Herter's going to get more usage. That's six. Yeah. So like he's not going to start. I feel not. I don't think he is. Maybe, maybe. I think he starts. I think he's a small forward starter. Okay. So what do you think the lineup is? You think it's Fox? I think it's Fox and one of Herter or Monk, probably Herter, and then Keegan Murray at the three, Harrison Barnes at the four, Sabonis so the five. And you don't think Davy? You think Davion comes off the bench? Okay. Yes. Okay. I think Davion's um, the backup point. I can. I, we'll see if they want to win games. I think the rookie's going to have a hard time. So that that's. I guess here's here's the thing. You're getting 700 on on Keegan. I don't necessarily know the number's going to drop. Yeah, you can get a, again 10 to one at points bet. So a thousand. Oh, sorry. So 10 to one. Uh, even if they drop it, it's not going to get too far down, right? Yeah. Wait. This is where we get into the conversation about waiting. Wait for the first month of the season. Like, mm. wait for wait. This, you need we need to see where these guys slot yeah. rotation like if you I want to certainly, if you, certainly if you, wait for now while it's mid-july because for yeah. example i certainly think i don't have intel on it you have better intel than me 
I think there's a real chance Harrison Barnes does not end the year with with the Kings. Right. And that is he's literally the same tweener mm-hmm. forward position Keegan Murray is. That would be huge if they if Harrison Barnes gets traded tomorrow, I'm betting Keegan Murray immediately because the number yep. will not be the right price. Correct. So we'll wait for the roster move, wait for the playing time to increase and the numbers to come. Mm-hmm. I think you're right that like as things stand right now, he's not the right pick, but there is a clear avenue for him. And look, you know, I was betting Evan, I was betting Evan Mobley from the first month on. I bet him like a ton. I bet him a ton. I still got good value on Barnes once it started to pick up because I, I started sensing the, the late push for him. I need to just once again stress how bad of a choice that was. Just <laughs> Scotty was, was, was great. It's just like Evan Mobley was a legitimate defensive player of the year candidate. Like I could make an argument for him. Oh, uh, anyway, I'm not mad. It's fine. It's fine. Just Evan Mobley is a transcendent talent. Um, anyway, I think there's value in waiting because like that wait till training camp, you'll start. I've learned. We actually learn a ton in training camp from a betting perspective, Brandon. Like we get a sense for the vibe, which I think helps us with win totals. We get a sense for rotations, which helps us with, with where players are slotting in. We learn a lot more in preseason than I used to think that we did. I think from a betting pers- I think from a regular season narrative perspective, we don't learn much. I think from a betting perspective, we learn a ton in preseason. Yeah, I think so. And so we're recording this now and you're like, well, what am I supposed to, I'm trying to tell you, like if you, I'm always for build a position early and then hedge against it later. That's how I approach things. If you want to bet rookie of the year right now, if you're like, I want to bet one, Brandon and I both agree it's Palo and that this is a lot of conversation to say, bet the number one pick, but look, honestly, I haven't bet the number one pick very often. And usually that number is worse. I don't know why this number is not lower. This number should be much closer yeah, well, then that's shorter. That, that's the thing. If you listen to me on the podcast, you know, the last thing I tell you to do is, hey, you know what? Bet the favorite. Yeah, <laughs> Let's bet the favorite, not the long shot. That's not the thing that I do. The favorite should not be plus 400. That's exactly the point. Like if you think that the it's 68% top three pick, if you think that Paolo is even 30% likely to be the best of the top three, then plus 400 is too long. That's, that's just math. So I don't wait on Paolo. If if you like the top three, or if you like Paolo and you want to bet, do bet him now. There's not going to be a plus 400 available for much longer. Like it was plus 460 a week ago because Chet had one amazing game and FanDuel was like, what? Okay, plus 460. And then immediately in like a week later, we even back out. And look, we maybe will have that early in the season, but I think the odds are going to shorten on the top guys. So it, I agree. Wait, accept. If you want Paolo, you're not getting a four to one later. It's just not going to be there. Yeah. So I think wait for Keegan. He's the next one I would look at. I probably wait on the Pacers and Ben McMatherin. I think there's a lot of stuff to figure out there. The Um, the case against Matherin, I think, is the case that happened against Jalen Green. You got a similar style player where it's just going to come and go, and you need some avenues to open for him. Jaden Ivey, the case against him is Cade Cunningham because Cade post all-star break 22, six and seven. Yep. That's the hub. Like yep. you basically need Cade to disappear for a long stretch. That's Jaden Ivey's path to becoming the rookie of the year. So yeah. that's, and I think Jaden, I think Jaden's got the skill for it, Yeah, but, it, but the opportunity isn't as much there. Yes. I also think Detroit's probably going to be a little bit more geared towards winning, uh, which that changes like how you build things. You're not just pumping stats through a guy versus the magic. I think are absolutely going to want to pump stats to Palo Bancaro. So uh, yeah, that's your best bet is Alabancaro. Shot for the best number. 
track all our picks in the Action Network app. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you again Thursday for another edition of Buckets.